Uh, hello, and welcome to Thursday's After Session. This is uh, Assemblyman Kevin Kiley, uh, as always, broadcasting from room 4153 of the State Capitol. Uh, I've just gotten off the floor of the Assembly about half an hour ago, uh, where I actually had the uh, privilege today of introducing uh, some visitors, a class of fourth graders from Blue Oak Elementary in uh, Cameron Park, and I think they're getting uh, a little tour of the Capitol as we speak. So it's always great to be able to uh, greet folks who uh, who are visiting from the district. And uh, you know, if you uh, are uh, are coming into the Capitol, uh, please let my office know, and we'd be really happy uh, to see you. Uh, so this week, uh, as always, we're joined by William Kolke, uh Chief of Staff, and uh, we'll be discussing a, a couple bills that uh, I've just had the opportunity to introduce. Yeah, so it's been a fairly slow week in the California State Legislature, with uh, the exception of uh, what happened today, Thursday after session. You introduced your first two bills, and one of them, airing on the side of the dramatic, would amend the California State Constitution. (laughs) Well, it's not quite as dramatic as it sounds for anyone who's looked at our Constitution. It's actually a rather uh, lengthy document, uh, much in contrast to uh, the much shorter U.S. Constitution. But there are some forms of legislating that need to be done through a constitutional amendment because uh, the thing you're seeking to change is, is part of the constitution itself as opposed to you know the, the, the much larger body of, uh, of statutory law. Um, but yes, I've uh, just had the chance to go on the floor and uh, here with uh, Josh Hoover, uh, Capital Director. Josh, you have uh, you know been around the building for a while. Maybe you want to explain a little bit how the process of actually introducing a bill works. Yeah, so we just uh, got back from the floor a few minutes ago, it, uh, and you handed the uh, chief clerk your, your first bill, uh, which is going to be ACA 3. Uh, it's actually an assembly constitutional amendment, as you mentioned. And basically the process for that is going to be uh, the first step. It will go to the assembly rules committee, who decides on where all the bills get referred, uh, it, uh, and they will decide which policy committee uh, it gets sent to, uh, which... Uh, the policy committees are made up of a subset of members from the assembly who will debate the bill, analyze the bill, and uh, vote on the bill to see if it will continue on to the uh, the larger uh, assembly floor, uh, and then goes to the state senate and does the whole process again. So, and one of the differences between a bill that seeks to change uh, a uh, a statute and one that seeks to amend the constitution is there's a higher uh, voting threshold, right? Yeah, yeah. So uh, it requires two-thirds of the legislature in both houses to support it, uh, to vote for it. And uh, also, in this case, will also require a vote of the people because it does amend the state constitution. So this uh, constitutional amendment is reprising an idea that goes back to one of your predecessors, Assemblyman Roger Nilo. It's, it's rooted in this concern that the attorney general is politicizing ballot titles in ballot summaries that appear on voter ballots for initiatives uh, propositions. That's right. And this is uh, this is so important because how many uh, how many initiatives do we have on the ballot this last election like 17 something like that? Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, the average uh, voter uh, how do you possibly uh, get um, you know too much uh, detailed information on each and every one of these? The The most important information that most voters have is the little summary you see when you actually go to vote that's on uh, your ballot. And so, uh, you know, that raises the question of who's writing these summaries. Uh, They sure have a lot of power over whether uh, a measure passes 
or fails. And uh, it turns out who does it is the, the state attorney general, uh, which is a partisan office, uh, most recently held by Kamala Harris, who happened to be a uh, United States Senate candidate at the same time that she uh, was exercising this power to write these summaries that have so much influence on the way people vote on initiatives that often have very far-reaching effects on public policy and consequences for people's lives. So we don't have to look too far back to see an example of how the process is being politicized. We just have to look at this last election, Proposition 57. Yes, this is um, a pretty uh, pretty egregious example of how the process can be uh, misused in order to uh, get a result that the backers of the initiatives want, but that is not necessarily in step with the will of voters. So Prop 57 uh, basically made about uh, 16,000 folks, I think, uh, currently in prison. Uh, is that right? Um, it made 16,000 offenders immediately eligible for That's release, right, immediately eligible. And 32,000 offenders eventually eligible. Exactly. Uh, and uh, these are folks convicted, convicted of some pretty serious crimes. Um, but what the, the summary on the ballot said is that it only would apply to nonviolent offenders. And that's what the promoters of the initiative said time and time again. I know, only nonviolent offenders. But then when you actually dig into what uh, this initiative would do, it turns out that a lot of folks who have been committed of some pretty violent-sounding crimes actually are eligible for early release under the initiative. So, uh, you know, rape by intoxication or rape of an unconscious person, for example, the crime that uh, the young man at Stanford was convicted of. Those are considered nonviolent offenses uh, under this initiative. So what your constitutional amendment would do is it would transfer the authority to write these ballot titles and summaries from the Attorney General to the Legislative Analyst Office. Right. Uh, Josh, you want to tell us a bit about what the Legislative Analyst Office is, what they do? Yeah, so the Legislative Analyst Office is a uh, nonpartisan body that the uh, legislature relies upon to uh, basically provide them with a lot of uh, information about different programs, different state programs, the state budget, and it's nonpartisan for a reason. Uh, the goal of the analyst office is to provide completely non-biased information to the state legislature that can be relied upon to make important policy decisions. So this uh, function of writing the little summary that appears on your ballot seems to me to be right up the legislative analyst's uh, alley. It's supposed to be a uh, neutral summary of what the initiative would do. Uh, and so it makes a lot more sense to have a nonpartisan, uh, neutral uh, entity perform this function uh, than a, a political, uh, partisan elected official. And in fact, the legislative analyst is already entrusted with preparing a fiscal impact um, of each ballot measure, uh, which does also appear on the ballot. They already separately conduct their own uh, analysis of uh, each uh, ballot measure. That analysis just doesn't appear on the ballot itself. It's the uh, attorney general whose summary appears on the ballot. So it would not be hard to implement and would be much more in keeping with the purpose of the initiative process, which is that really the will of the voters um, should be what determines uh, whether something passes, not whatever uh, kind of slant or gloss you're able to put on the summary uh, in the process of describing what it will do to voters. So you have one piece of legislation that targets the causes of Prop 57, and the other one would target its consequences. Yes, so the, the constitutional amendment that we're talking about would um, make it so the misleading summary that led to the passage of Prop 57, uh, that sort of thing won't happen again, because we'll have a neutral third party 
that prepares the summaries. Of course, we're still left to reckon with what I view will be uh, some serious public safety challenges because Prop 57 has now passed and we have all of these folks who have committed very serious uh, violent crimes uh, that are eligible for early release. So you can't override a ballot initiative uh, in the legislature, but uh, what we can do is change the, the body of statutory law that uh, determines who does and does not qualify as a violent offender. Um, so uh, my colleague, Assemblywoman uh, Melendez, has introduced a, uh, uh, a bill that will reclassify uh, some of these very serious uh, sexual assault type of offenses, rape by intoxication, rape of an unconscious person, uh, as a violent felony, which it clearly is. And uh, this bill that uh, I've now introduced will reclassify uh, some other crimes that target particularly vulnerable populations that are currently considered under existing statutory law to be nonviolent crimes. This will make them violent crimes so that they're, uh, the people who commit them are not uh, eligible for early release under Prop 57. So Josh, you have a list there of some of these uh, crimes that we're reclassifying. Uh, child molestation of a child age 14 or 15, which because of Prop 57 is now considered nonviolent. Contacting a minor with intent to commit kidnappings or sexual assault or physical abuse, false imprisonment of an elder by violence, inflicting physical pain or mental suffering on an elder, and maliciously or intentionally maiming uh, or mutilating a living animal or even killing an animal. Yeah, and this is, you know, the really important point in my mind is that you talk to the average person, you say you consider these sort of things, animal cruelty, imprisoning an elderly person by violence to be violent crimes. I think that 99 out of 100 would tell you, yes, those are violent crimes. But uh, voters went to the ballot box and uh, didn't realize that they were actually voting to make people who committed those offenses eligible for early release because it said on the ballot that it only applied to nonviolent offenses. And in fact, uh, there's polling available showing that when Prop 57 was described accurately uh, to voters, then it was rejected overwhelmingly. Uh, it, as it was, it passed overwhelmingly with the misleading summary. So, uh, you know, that's the really important point, is that the initiative process, which California was really a pioneer of, uh, is meant to give uh, voters a uh, direct say in uh, the direction of public policy, the direction of our state, but that is being distorted by uh, the way the system is currently set up. So that's why we decided to take this two-tiered approach. Uh, number one, to try to fix this issue with the initiative process, and number two, to try to uh, at least mitigate some of the consequences of the most uh, uh, you know, sort of dramatic recent uh, mis misuse of it. Yeah, so this will travel through the legislative process, and uh, we'll see uh, how these two bills do. Yeah, and uh, we should keep you updated on, uh, on how uh, they move through that process. Uh, you can, of course, always uh, take a look at our Facebook page uh, to see what's going on uh, here at the Capitol and around the district. And uh, until next week, this is Kevin Kiley signing off from Room 4153.